This podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands and the waterways where this episode is being recorded. Further, we acknowledge the cultural diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and pay respect to the elders past, present and future. Hi everyone, it's Betty and Michaela here and we are back for the third episode of Women Behind the Media. We're very excited for this episode and the guests that we're going to be having on, so let's get into it. Today, we are joined by casting extraordinaire Sue Manger. She has worked in this industry for quite some time now, and we're excited to pick her brain about her life and career. Welcome to the podcast, Sue. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I, I, I don't know how long you've got, because I've been around a long time, but, you know, if, if it's related to what you want to know, I'm here to explain it. Well, we love to hear it. We want to okay. know everything. But wow. I'll, <laughs> everything. But we're going to start off. You started your journey into the industry quite young. You were yep. working as a theatre uh, stage manager at the age of 18 in England. Now, what made you transition from working backstage in theatre to now working as a casting consultant behind the screen? How, as I said, how long have you got? Well, I, I, actually, the whole thing behind being a stage manager was actually really a fantastic training, even though I was I was a assistant stage manager for a pound a week in England and you worked 14-hour days and you did everything, which you do behind the screen as well. You always start making teas, you know, and helping people with their clothes, do the costumes and, and the wardrobes and things like that. And so I guess to get to the screen in those days, which was in, like, it was 59... So I really and truly, from it, I had no idea that I that the screen existed. If I hardly watched television, hardly went to the movies, and theatre was the main thing. And you'll find that most people say that nowadays, if particularly actors, not so much stage managers, but actors will say that's really where they start to learn about the business. Talking about the screen, actors who have worked, have have worked a lot in theatre can adapt easier to screen despite what anybody says. For me, I spent a lot of time working in theatre. Once I'd done my studenthood, <laughs> I went up to London and I stayed there about four or five years working, luckily, in West End. And one of the things that helped me is that you meet so many different people. People were coming up and coming people, in the, in, in theatre people... You, you learn about the craft of, of stage management, which actually um, people hadn't realised it is. As a result of that, I was able to go to... I went to Canada and did some stage management. And I didn't do stage management there. I worked behind the scenes the um, in Montreal, Expo 67, I think it was. And Expo 67 in Montreal, and that I worked... Typing. Now, I have worked type. Oh, that's right. Before that, I was typing for ATV in London. I got a job because I, got, I thought, oh, I must go, I must get into the screen, talking about screen. And I went to, to work in AT, for ATV in the typing pool. Now, that sort of doesn't exist anymore, does it? Typing pool. I don't think so. No. Oh, it's, it's maybe a dying art form, but it might still be around. <laughs> well, you are. Well, it's, it's totally changed, talking about then and now, but there was a special, special floor where there'd be typists 
and I was a typist and I've never been a good typist but I, I tried hard and we'd have to go to, to, sit, to meet up with different producers or they'd send you scripts down to type up all that sort of thing so it was, a, it was one of those places where you, you actually were the dog's body but you, so I certainly learnt a lot about, uh, about the screen and about presenting arithmetic programs Maths. No, I didn't call them maths. I think you call them a little arithmetic. You know, all sorts of different programs. One of the girls that I was working there with um, was a dancer, and she liked to dance on her on the desks. She had she, yeah, she was mad when we were when we got bored or something. You know, we we didn't have any scripts. She'd get up and dance on the desk, or we'd play cards or something like Keeping that. Keeping yourself entertained. Yes, exactly. And so we often used to say, "Oh, we're busy." Or something like that. She went off to. Uh, she married a guy called Lionel Conway, and and he went off. To, they both went off to Los Angeles, and uh, he was a, became a manager. But anyway, they were yeah. But she was always a dancer. There was so I was always involved with extraordinary people. You know, right right down to her. Anyway, I I did work. I kept. I sort of worked in between, between working, and I actually have worked on stage as a weasel, ferret or stoat <laughs> in Toad of Toad Hall. So, and that was at Christmas time, you know, so I used to have to wear all the, all the mouse, all the... Um, mouse, Whiskers all and the stuff. Wear, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So all that was leading up in between the screen and in between ATV and London and that. And then I also, at uh, one time when I was uh, out of work, as you are, in between jobs, as they say, I went to do dress Diane Talento, and she was had just uh, written a play, or no, she had actually rewritten a play in it uh, called Naked, and she needed a dresser in Windsor. Now there is a theatre royal in Windsor, just not far away from the castle. But anyway, I had to get on a train and go down and dress her, and it, it was only just a belt that she had to have on. Yeah, I was going to say, a dresser for a show called Naked yeah. doesn't sound like a, a a lot of work went into that one. <laughs> no, no, except, yes, exactly, except she liked a cup of tea, but it was a bit of a sad play, so we didn't get much idle chatter happening in between, you know. Mm-hmm. But we got talking, and at just at that time, she just had her son Jason. Sean Connery was her husband. Well, they were mar- she was married to Sean, and so... He used to come and pick her up after after playing, and he'd just finished um, Doctor No, and so he wasn't. The big fame hadn't happened, you know. And uh, so we got we got we got talking, and then they asked me to if I'd work work with them. So I did that. So I learned all about. I was supposedly his secretary, but basically I was writing up housekeeping lists, and uh, but at the same time going on set with Diane. And she worked. Uh, she worked on Tom Jones, which for which she got Oscar nomination for. Quite a few other uh, other plays and films around around town. So I learnt about the screen from Diane. Oh, okay. Not from Sean because he was always on set or playing golf. So you know I couldn't learn much from him except probably on the weekends or something like that. So I got a very broad training without you know, life training as well. By, by staying at their place and looking after their children, 
that was another one, another way of learning about stage and screen. I did ask them if I could come to Australia with them and they were talking about a movie that they were going to do and I said, well, I please, can I come with you? Yes, of course, yes, of course. Didn't happen anyway. So I, I worked with them for about five years on and off. Then I did some more theatre. I, I haven't I haven't actually stopped, you know, in between work doing tours around England and Scotland. Eventually, about three days before I flew out of out of London to Montreal, I got this this call saying, "Help! We need stage managers in Montreal for British National Day." They're each I don't know if you know about expos. They have national days, and so it would be Australia Day, national, you know, all that and. Then Norby Road was there and, you know, all those people and the, the Australian ballet and things like that. And for some reason or other, we did something. I have no idea what we were doing. We just said, put those props there, put those props there, do this, do that. And it was all over within two hours. But we had, we had to be there for a week or something for that two hours. But that was another way of being presenting of the stage as well as not screen that time, although I did do a, a screening where I was... I think it was one of those programs where a woman, usually a woman, says, oh, oh, my husband has been unkind to me and I'm thinking of divorcing them and I've got six children, what shall I do? You know, that sort of one. And then they have people telling you what, giving you advice. So I did one of those. And then, oh, in London I met a nice Australian guy and I thought, oh, I think I will go to Australia. And he was in the police force and he had to get back to the police force, but he came over with me to Canada and he also became a stage manager. And we lived in uh, in Montreal. I worked for Expo itself in the theatre department, in the scheduling department. I'd already worked in scheduling for makeup people at Elstree Studios when I was in England. So it was scheduling, making, getting it times right, getting everything right, scheduling for different shows and plays that used to come in to Expo and they used to have really top plays and things so I'd never stopped seeing great operas from Russia, all sorts of, you know, it was just amazing. So that, it's about education. You know, you, you, can't, you can't buy it, you can't even bottle it, you know. We jumped ship, as they say, because you're supposed to have flown back. We just stayed on it, you know. Then I decided that I didn't want to continue a relationship or something. I don't know, you know, you know, you know how it is. And I, um, a friend of mine who was who we were staying with, he was uh, company manager for the Grand Ballet Canadien, which is a fabulous one. And uh, Carmina Burana was a big hit, the actual production, which is song and dance. And he said, "Do you want to come on tour with me?" and we'll go on tour down the States, down the Midwest. So I did that, and I left my intended behind <laughs> and went on this magnificent tour of in the inner west. Now, we didn't go to New York, but we did get up, up north of New York and down in Chicago, Detroit, all the, way, all the way up to Texas. And there again, I was involved with... I've been involved with music and dancing in the theatre anyway in uh, in England, not myself dancing, I hasten to add. And uh, 
I was really hired to make sure that the guy who was the stage manager didn't get drunk and so that he couldn't stage manage. And that kept him on the, on the right path because I was very relieved because I can't read music. <laughs> I'd have, I wrote up a whole script of when the, when the ballerina does this turn, that's when I press the buttons and all those sort of things. So then I got to England and then I decided that I'd emigrate to Australia and then that second half of my life is actually trying to find work as a stage manager in Australia and eventually ending up as a casting person. I think I've made a little short version of my life at learning all about every, everything you could imagine in the industry and particularly knowing that I didn't want to act, which is very, was very important to me. I didn't want to act. And even though people said, oh, well, you, you have to understudy because it was the thing to do and it has been here, not so much now, but because stage management has become a, a, a proper job. You know, but I'd say no, I can't act. I just didn't want to know about acting. I just wanted. To, I like watching people act. I I love it. You know, so I didn't want to put myself anywhere in front of camera or on stage ever again. In that sense. Well, so, you've obviously worked many roles in this industry, whether that be behind the stage doing stage managing and dressing and then also working as casting for TV and screen Mm. and obviously going over to many different places, which I'm very jealous of. I really hope (laughs) that's going to be me one day. It can be. Fingers crossed it's going to be me. But I also noticed that you've, when you came to Australia, you did a lot of freelancing, just casting consultant for yourself. Do you find being a freelancer gives you more opportunities and that you're not like tied down to a certain production company or staging company or anything like that? Um, just in between, I was I didn't go into casting straight away. Continuing the stage management thing, wanting a career, there was no such thing. And I wrote to quite a few people and said, you you know, and they said, no, no, we don't have that sort of job. We don't have stage management jobs. And I met somebody who was opening, a, was producing, I should say, a TV show called, it was called Today, that one of the beginnings of Today shows and everything. So I worked behind as a typer, typist and all that sort of thing. So it was nothing to do with typecasting. But this was working for Channel 9, and I worked for Channel 9 full, not on a freelance basis, but actually getting a wage to be a production secretary. So when Today's show finished, I also worked on Don Lane's show, Mike Wall's show, and those types of shows, which were all behind the scenes. And then when they were all finished, I was only freelancing, like I say I was doing, was trying to sell Showcast, which is the, the Bible of, of actors. And so actually, I, I was married by then and had one kid, one, one young son, and then I had another one. But freelancing is not for me, let's put it this way. Because actually, it was great working with, within a group of people. And I'd worked for ATV in London, which has become very big. It was big then. In fact, people who were at Grundy's started off there. Then I worked for Channel 9. And then I was freelancing and trying to earn a living, earn some money, and have two little kids around and do all that sort of thing. My husband, which was the guy who I left behind, but didn't leave behind in the end, in... in um, 
America, the States, did go back to the police force. So he had shifts, so it was fine. Anyway, I wanted to be, I thought I wanted to be an agent. And that's freelancing as well. So, in other words, you actually have to put your own money into everything. Even though I did have a husband who was actually in a good job, so that was fine. But for my career and freelancing, and I became an agent because a friend of mine had the money to do it and decided, no, it's not for me. And I applied to Grundy Television because I'd heard via the golf course now, you know, I was saying about Sean Corrie always been on the golf course. Well, I never thought the golf course would be important to me because I never played. <laughs> you never played golf. <laughs> but my husband was playing golf with, a, and it turns out one of the guys who was a writer for Grundy said, oh, is Sue going to apply for the casting job? And I, I didn't know anything about it. And so I did, and I had to go through quite a exam, and I hadn't. I'd never done any casting before, but I got the job. I got the job of being a casting person, not the casting director straight away. So that was like a secure job. It was secure in the sense that it was being a. It was a bit like being a receptionist, and I don't want to say a receptionist. You like you know in sort of, but it, you, they didn't realise what skills you had to have be a casting person it, it, was, it was it was thought to be nine to five and you know you just looked at a script and and it does it doesn't work that way but so I started that and then eventually I started on Restless Years which is the end when you weren't even born at all I don't think were you? I don't think so <laughs> no, no, really. no and and Young Doctors and I did Young Doctors uh, just at the end of them and then the person who was the casting director left and I said, oh, yes, I'd like... I said, why, well, yes, please, I want to be the casting director. So I did become the boss there and we had quite a lot of shows that were consistently on going and going and going. So all, all I did was read scripts and audition people and, and then I had a boss, the producer, who I used to work, to work with all the time on that thing. But I used to do all my own auditioning and all that sort of thing. So basically, that's how I got into casting, by through the golf course, I suppose. Well, so people that you know, connections. <laughs> oh, well, actually, that's one of the things that I have about is the fact that all the time people say it, Brisbane's a small place or everywhere it's a small place because you meet people. Even the people I worked in with at Worthing Rep or in, in London in the theatre or anywhere... I've met throughout my life or they've been part of it and that's where it all it all sort of works. The same networking was that um, Diane came over to live over here in uh, and she's from Queensland, from Malulabar actually, and bought a property up in far north Queensland. But all the time when you make your contacts, they're there to stay if, if they're people you want to work with. I've kept contacts with people all the way through and that's how you get work, full stop. Well, I think that's with us as well. We yeah. we're already getting contacts just studying, so we'll probably keep them for as long as we can. And it'll be good that we can refer back to them if we ever have a job going or we need someone to be like, oh, I know the person. I remember studying with them or using using their job a while ago. Yeah. And just having this like collection of people for the future is, I think, the best asset we can have being in this industry. Yeah. Well, it's cr- across the board. It's It really is. 
you know, you're talking about stage and screen. Well, yes, you know, and anything else in between that you can do is always always a great learning thing. So for me to to get to the job that I end up being, which kind of defined defined me as far as thing, I didn't know ever know I was ever going to be a casting person, and particularly for Grundy's, and I lasted nine years there. So that's good, having nine years of work. So I'm getting paid, you know, and sure, I didn't think I was paid enough, you know, but, you know, we all talk about those sort of things in that time. But it was consistent work, and it cost me to work because I had to buy my own theatre tickets, but I was always giving them, so I always had to buy, have to buy a drink, of course. You know, what, what, how nice to go out and buy a drink. At least it would go towards whatever stage production or any, you know. But anyway, um, it was it was great. It, it's I prefer working for a company. I prefer that because when I had left and I was totally worn out and just had to leave, I'd been working on Australia's Most Wanted, and when this director got so cross with me and for no reason at all, not my, something doesn't arrive. Out of your control. Out of my mm. control. I just said, I've had enough of this. So I left and that it, um, then I was going to go up to far north Queensland and, and do a sort of course with Diane Chilento. She was, she was doing a course in meditation and all that. But that didn't happen. But I came up to Queensland because I had made a connection with an agent She'd said, oh, whatever, if you ever come up to Queensland, I'll look, you know, come and stay. So I did. I turned up with my suitcase, stayed for four years, I think, something like that. And she taught me all about the screen, other side of things, but I had already taught hers because of I was taking auditions, doing auditions for her, for her people to do the work down at the Gold Coast, things like that. So in between, I guess, freelancing... I was asked to do short films for nothing. I did a few. I just, uh, it's very hard, you know, to say, oh, we can give you, you'll have you up your name as a casting person, or, you know. And I found it very hard because I'm not very good at selling myself, you see. I could sell actors and I could negotiate, but I, I can't do it for myself. And I think people thought I had money. And some people said, oh, we will to work with you. And I'd say, that's great. And I would, I'd be on the dole, literally. And I'd be on the, I, was, I was on the dole for quite a few years on and off, working on things as a freelance person. Now, I think it's because I couldn't sell myself. So that's what happened there. So now, answering your question, I thought it was wonderful when I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I'd worked with at Grundy's and said, Sue, do you want to go and live in Gawla? And I said, where's Gawler? Well, everybody knows where Gawler is now. And I said, OK. So I get on the plane. So this has been my life all the time. I'll get on a plane. Yeah, off I go. Get on a plane. I end up working in South Australia on McLeod's Daughters for seven and a half years. You see? Uh, on set, teaching the extras, teaching the people, auditioning people, the whole thing. So my whole life was on set, actually, in Come Rain, Come Shine you know, with the, all the gear on, hat on and everything, because uh, it's very cold down there and very hot. And so that's how I managed to survive another few years. 
by working at, on the clouds. So answering that question, I don't like being a freelancer. So you like working with more people as well? Because freelancing seems to be sort of like an individual type of role and it's better to work, well, not better, but it's like you seem more suited to be working around people and being in a team. I could be in a team, but um, freelancing to me means no money, mm. you see, and this was the thing. And and the interesting thing is that when, when you've worked in a job like in Grundy's for nearly nine years or so, everybody knows you. And I mean, I got a good reputation. I, if anybody disagrees, well, please say so. But I did have a good reputation. But as soon as I left, I had no money. And we, there was no, we didn't have super. Mm. I did have that money that you get when you've been there for eight or ten years or something. But that doesn't last long when you're sort of trying to survive with your children and all that. So I I don't know what happened there because I can't sell myself and say, I'm a wonderful casting person, you have to use me. Now, these days, there's a casting guild of Australia and there's a lot of very fantastic casting people working now and so it's very different to when I was there and there was quite a few good casting people around when I left people didn't want to pay for casting it was a bit like being stage manager and then nobody wants a stage manager now it was casting and people would had got the money and that's why I was doing things for nothing if, I, if people offered me a job now I don't I would, it's a bit different because I'm writing my book so yes yeah. so as a woman who has worked in like behind the scenes and yeah. in the entertainment industry for years. What do you see that has changed with the treatment of females in this current workplace? I think that's a fabulous question because I've never had a problem. Wow. The only thing is that, okay, I had a problem. I couldn't get stage management job, but there was no jobs. Every job I did, it was fine. And I've discovered I've worked with more women and I've worked with men anyway, all the way through. The people I worked with on, on stage, people I worked on television, and they've all been women. I haven't had the problems that people, some people have, you know, a bit of misogyny going on here and there. I, I've had a, a good time. I haven't had a problem. And I've thought about this because I don't want to name names, but I have worked, I, some people, some of the older, older men like to think that they like to be responsible you know I mean, control and all that and I always sort of ignored them, you know so I didn't have a problem because I wouldn't allow it to be a problem but it was the older people who felt that you should be back home looking after your children it's still I mean it still happens today but I seriously didn't so I can't help you there I'm <laughs> pleased that you had a positive yeah. experience to it so yeah because like we obviously hear a lot in this industry yeah. that women are mistreated in certain workplaces and there's gender stereotyping stuff like that but I'm really happy that you haven't had to experience any of that <laughs> don't think I'm alone I think that lots of people that I've grown up with as I say in the business have we've all learned how to cope with things like that and so we're not so have not been so aware of certain things yeah happening. you don't take it in as much you don't take it in and as one person said to me well you know what you do don't you you know if if you get sort of somebody wants to uh, Say something rude to you or inappropriate. You know, and, uh, she said you just tip your glass of champagne right in front of them. <laughs> you know, there were all ways of coping, which people 
don't do these days, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's the difference nowadays is they, as soon as it happens, they'll make sure they're aware of it and it changes. But I think that's also a generation difference. Well, I went at Grundy's. I was a a, a very big boss, you know, although I had the producers who were guys. I was very much the boss of of what I worked, you see. So I haven't had that problem. Obviously, you've been in casting and stage managing and stuff like that. Could you pinpoint any significant differences in the industry from back then to nowadays? Obviously, like technology is a major factor, but is there anything else you could pinpoint that's different nowadays? Well, yeah. Well, to me, technology is the one big thing. Otherwise, the basics remain, you know. Apart from what we've just been talking about, you know, with that the misogyny or whatever, uh, of course there is a big difference now. You know, people are much more careful. But no, the main thing is is technology, and I know that I find it hard to sort of do things on the computer and I go what. And I think it's called age as well. You know, if my generation, you know, your this side, whichever side of brain works for doing computers is not is not on my side of the brain, and. Really and truly, yes. I would say that for stage management, people have a wonderful, this wonderful jobs, and they all they get recognition. People get recognition, and they walk around with earphones and all those sort of things. And I didn't have any of that. You had to press buttons and ring bells and, and all that. But basically, it's always the same. You've got to have respect for the people you work with. Full stop. And appreciate people's talent and be able to cope with people having temperaments, let's put it that way, or their egos that'll get a bit out of place, you know? So basically, it's, it's, that's not changed at all. So there's two things, really. The technology's totally changed on me, but the, the whole thing of working with people has, from the very beginning, has remained constant, that you, if you look after people and you talk, respect people, whatever... And you don't get get your knickers in a knot. You're fine. You just got to have respect. Full stop. I think respect is pretty much the perfect thing in all workplaces, yes. whether that be the entertainment yeah, or not. Yeah. As your career developed, was there anyone like any specific women who inspired you in your career? Yes, actually, I was interesting that because mostly women I worked with. Yes. Well, the first one was Annie Spars, and she was a stage manager in London. Now, this this is going back, and this would be mid-50s, she was working in stage management, and everybody knew her, all the big stars, everybody knew her, like Richard Burton and all those people who liked having a beer, so did she. And she would always work that, and I learnt stage management from her because she was very polite and very kind and taught me how, you know, to follow through, you know, on things like that. And so... She swear like a trooper when nobody else was around, you know. <laughs> so I had to learn that one. And then I've got then I've got Diane Chilento because I actually I helped her a lot on her book. That she, oh she's written she wrote three books I think two books, and so I learnt about that uh, a lot from her about actors, especially actors in very stressed situations. And then Elaine Holland, uh, she was a top agent here in Brisbane. We're not exactly in Brisbane here, but you know what I mean, Queensland. So a top agent, and she uh, was pretty fiery and pretty sort of um, very good for her actors. So I learned a bit, a lot about what it was like to be an agent and how to have to fight the guys. That's where that comes in, the guys from from the different 
basically were producers, not so many uh, male producers now, but I never had to have much to do with them, so it didn't matter. But she would be fighting City Hall for, for getting the, the rights for her actors. And she, she had a lot of very good actors who are still going very well with Queensland Theatre Company and down everywhere and in front of, on the screen as well. And then Lynn Kidd, who ran a drama school, and it only, she recently finished that about five years ago now. She'd run that for 20, 24, 25 years at the Metro Arts Building in Brisbane. And it was a specific one that she designed everything for and had great people coming in. She only had 28 people a year and they learnt everything. And I'd go in and, and teach them how to audition. And what my specialty was when I was freelancing was to teach people how to audition in front of camera. So Lynn Kidd, a fantastic teacher for actors, Elaine Holland, an agent, and Diane, an actress, and Annie, a stage manager. So they all were very, very significant in my life as far as its business is concerned. So you mentioned a bit earlier about writing a book. What's that experience been like? So is that about all about casting? Well, yeah, I wanted it to be about casting, and then everybody's written about cast. I, I actually got an agent as a, as a literary agent once through Lorraine Desmond. She said, oh, I know somebody who would be good for you, and she put me onto this person, and the literary agent said, well, I want you to do a how-to book. Now, this is in 2019, and, and I went, I don't want to do a how-to book, because what was happening with exactly the changes of things, what was happening online, you can get all that how-to, apart from YouTube and Facebook and all these courses. There's so many. And there's also so many drama schools around, you know, good or bad. But I thought, well, if I write a book like that, nobody's going, people go, oh, you know, whatever. So I decided I would write a book that was exactly what I'm saying about how I became a casting person and what casting is about. And that's what I'm doing, and it's taken me that long to keep writing because something changes every day. But, yes, I have to get it done because... I'm running out of time. <laughs> well, I think as well as obviously how things have changed in the industry from years before, even the past like three, four years, yeah. a lot of things have changed. So I could understand that the books might be taking a bit longer than expected because this industry is so ever-changing. Well, my last question is, do you have any advice or tips for young women yeah. like us yes. that are entering in the media industry? My first thing was I've written do your research thoroughly before you actually start anything. And respect I've got again. And what would be the third thing? Yeah, contacts. Keep your contacts, you know, and do any any work that you can because anything that you do, because I'd said yes to everything that I could do, you know, washing dishes when I was young, much younger, making sandwiches, you know. A lot of actors are baristas and people like that, but seriously, in between jobs because you never know who you're going to meet. Well, I mean, I think that's with the entertainment industry. It's so on on and off. Like, a lot of jobs are temporary. Yeah. You always need a backup. I've always said that it's always going to be smart to have a backup. And like yes. you've done many yeah. times, you've worked yeah. as getting coffees and washing dishes and stuff like that. So I always think that's a smart backup plan. Always have an option B, I reckon. Yes. But you also, you learn to work with people all the time. You know, it helps, keeps you grounded. 
Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Sue. It's been lovely to learn about everything and your life, explaining everything and giving us some advice on how to handle the industry. Thank you. I'm glad I've learned a bit about you too. <laughs> and I'll make sure to keep you as a contact for the future. Yes, of course, because if there was somebody you could say, oh, I remember this, you could just contact. That's what is so good. Exactly. Nothing's yes. changed. In other words, everything's changed and nothing's changed. What a good way to end on that one. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you. We would also like to give a special thanks to the University of Southern Queensland for their contribution to this show. If you'd like to keep up with Women Behind the Media, the podcast, for our new episode releases or any updates, please go follow our Facebook and Instagram at Women Behind the Media. Bye! Bye.